Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I mentioned a few times that in May, I'm going up to Detroit to check out my Tigers in Comerica Park, and I can guarantee you that my sister and I will be using SeatGeek to get some prime seats for those games. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets anymore, whether I'm going to a game or a concert. I got the app on my phone, and I've been using it just kind of scout some things out, get, get a good feel for it before I purchase my tickets for May. And honestly, what SeatGeek has done is they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all available tickets on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, though, all you got to do is go download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SLEEPER. Welcome to episode 337 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Monday, April 25th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going? Giddy up. How was your weekend? Describe it in one word. Uh, beery. <laughs> That's a great description. I, uh, so. I'll, pull, I'll peel back the curtain. I knew he was going to say that. I just wanted him to tell y'all. Because when I asked him <laughs> how his weekend was, he said beery. I'd never heard that as a description for a weekend. So I really liked it. I thought it was apt. Um, and well, it's also also a little achy because I I strained my ankle pretty bad last oh, week of ball. Oh man! So did you go Steph Curry then? Basically, uh, yeah. he's got some. Well, he's got the MCL now, but um, he's got some weirder. He he had some issue low down. Mine was I thought it was a high ankle sprain at first because it hurts. Sprain ankles hurt so bad. Oh, they're so bad. They, I've broken bones and they don't hurt as much as sprained ankles. And it sounds. That's one of those ones that sounds like it's not. Oh, sprained ankle, and and we we, yeah, we yeah. write it off. That yeah. it's a tear. It's a tear in your ankle, and then you have to continue to try to walk on it and exist. And it's no joke. Yeah, it's no joke. Another one is the the dreaded pitcher blister. Is you're like, oh blister, come on. I, and I think either you and I or or, or Jason and myself have talked about like going through it. Yeah, good luck. Why don't you put a blister on your hand and go try to do something with your hand? consistently you know um we can only semi-relate we're obviously not athletes but if we had a blister on our middle finger and we try to type all day we would feel that and it would be really annoying and yes i just made a comparison to, to baseball writers with with baseball players but that's 
I'm doing it. I went with it. I went with it and I had to do it. But yeah, don't dismiss a blister. It's a huge deal. Shane Green actually got a blister on Sunday and it was so bad that uh, one of his pitches, when they did the slow-mo replay, you could see the blood every, every rotation. There was this giant blood spot on the horseshoe. It's like, oh, okay, I guess that's a... Uh, that's one where you got to come out of the game. And so at least he can feel his fingers, but that's probably not something he wants to feel. Yeah. Anyway, we got plenty to talk about today. Monday's always kind of like a big moves day, especially now that the season is really, it's really in full gear. You know, it doesn't take long in baseball. I honestly feel like once you get past that first week, we are in it. And, and it, it's no longer kind of the pomp and circumstance. It's the grind of the season. Now that we're three weeks in, that's definitely the case. So teams make a lot of activations, a lot of DL moves, a lot of promotions, demotions. So we're going to get into going to get into a handful of those. And then yesterday, Jason and I talked about a handful of NL players. And I promised that if we did it again, we'd focus more on AL. And I've actually got three AL arms for you, you know, who are excelling right now but are probably being looked at with, with a crooked eye from folks. There were a little suspect on these guys, and I got to get some information from you, see if you're buying in on them um, or kind of passing based on this early success. And then we'll dump into the, uh, jump, jump into the mailbag as well. But let's first start with a positive, a big activation. A lot of folks who are holding on to this guy I think you got to feel pretty good that you only lost three weeks out of Michael Brantley. So the, the, hopefully the tough part is over. He can get on the field and get going. Obviously, we got to kind of see how the shoulder might affect him. But how uh, encouraged are you for Michael Brantley now that we're only three weeks out? You get five plus months from him. First off, did you invest in him anywhere? And secondly, what are your expectations for Michael Brantley? I didn't actually invest in him anywhere. And it wasn't necessarily that I didn't think he would come back full strength-ish. It's more that I don't know that I know exactly what his true talent power is. Sure. Um, you know, he had the 20 home run year. I think, you know, I would guess the 15 is, but, uh, you know, in that year, uh, 2015, when he had 15 homers, he only had 600 plate appearances. So, um, you know, I, that was pretty close to a 20 home run year too. So you could call that the, the, the true talent, but for some reason I'm a little bit you know, I, I would pick his true talent more as like sort of 12 to 15. Maybe I'm just slow to warm to his type for some reason. It's just uh, he's a very good real-life hitter, but he's the kind of guy that's always struck me as possibly better real-life hitter than fantasy hitter. I mean, there's a lot of OBP in there, a lot of spraying the ball uh, around. Doubles, 45 doubles, you know, two years in a row for Brantley. And, and really there was four years in a row where he didn't make it to 30 home runs plus stolen bases combined. Mm -hmm. And and hit like 280. So we have four years of where he was sort of like a borderline play, really. And uh, and then we have two years where he was a borderline superstar. Based on, you know, I think runs and RBI, partially. Certainly. And, certainly that plays uh, a big role, batting up near the top of the lineup. You know, 94, 97 runs and RBI in 2014. That's a big part of his value there. Because just based on going 20, 20, 300, I don't think you'd normally put him into the second and third rounds like he was being picked. Uh, going into last year so i'm not saying that i foresaw him getting hurt last year or not getting 600 plate appearances he'd done that for three straight years but i wasn't that into him last year just because i was worried about the runs and rbi total pumping up his value a lot um and I, w I didn't know what his true talent power was so you know going into this year there was just an added layer of risk even though i think you know from jeff zimmerman's work that the the shoulder he hurt is less important for a hitter 
the back shoulder or the front shoulder. I don't even know which shoulder. I, I think it's him. It's the back shoulder. I think it is the back shoulder, and I think that is the one one for hitters that's going to be less impactful. Obviously, they'll correct us on Twitter and in the comments if if that's if we've got that wrong. But I think that's. But that was what Zimmerman. That's what Zimmerman. That's what Zimmerman. Um, uh, found was it, at least that the, the shoulder he hurt was the one that was a, a little bit less important. So, okay. and then I know that Stefania Bell, who who knows her stuff, um, also said something similar about hitters that have had this injury in the past and stuff. So, you know, if you're willing to give him a 170, 175 ISO as a true talent, then you're going to take the over on his projections even. And you're going to give him a 300 batting average with, you know, close to 15 homers the rest of the way. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, a lot like what he did last year. But but, yeah. but even if he doesn't, even if he falls a little bit short of that, the projections got him at 148 with the with the ISO. You're still looking at about 25 from the depth charts proje- projections. You got about 25 runs, uh, excuse me, stolen bases and homers for Michael Brantley, and and that's not so bad for five plus months either. Yeah, no, I think uh, people are pretty happy right now. You know, with the Kevin Gossman, you know, call up, um, and, and this one, you know. There's, if you've been hanging around and you and you're waiting for reinforcements, today was a pretty good day. That, that's a great call. Let's actually let's actually jump to to Gaussman. I forgot to put him on the rundown. I don't know how, uh, <laughs> considering that I really do like him and I'm excited about him finally pitching. It's going to get a nice two start week. It'll be a good chance, to, you know, get a couple looks at him. You know, see where we're at. I, you know, not saying that you would make a move one way or the other where you would cut him if they were two bad starts or anything like that. But it's going to be nice to get two chances at seeing what Gaussman's like. What are your expectations there, though? I, I'm getting to a point where I just don't trust Baltimore with, with starting pitcher development, and I'm hoping that, that Gaussman can break that trend, but I just, I just don't know. Do you have high hopes? Well, you know, I I did a little bit. I paid $10 for him in, in, in labor, and I'm pretty happy that he's coming back now. I really need nice. him. And, um, you know... Uh, the well, the reason I liked him was that he was learning to elevate the fastball more, get more pop-ups, um, and use the ride on his fastball to you know to a better end. And then on top of that, um, which which spoke to me also generally, pat, like sort of generally of greater confidence in his stuff and more ability to uh, to pitch in the zone. Uh, you know, it was a better zone year for him um than 2014 so that that to me says he's got more confidence to to throw his stuff in the zone means fewer walks um and, and maybe better outcomes in the future and then on top of that was the curve i mean he switched from a slider to a curve it's kind of like dallas keichel uh situation if dallas keichel threw a 90 mile 99 mile an hour you know straight fastball mm-hmm. so uh, <laughs> it's, it's basically it's- just like that, perfect. Just comparison. exactly, like that. but I—I I mean, I—I I think that was the secret to last season that people missed was that he moved from a slider to a curve, and it's not—it's not showing up in pitch FX pitch type. But if you go over to Brooks, you see it, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's uh, that's significant because his slider got the the poop knocked out of it. It it really did. That was a big issue for for Kevin Gossman. We talked about it throughout the season. I think even starting in spring training. It was clear that it was still a kind of a frisbee deal. I remember a particular instance. I think he gave up a couple homers on it in a spring outing. And we were like, geez, if that slider doesn't come along, he's not going to do what we hope. The one good thing about it, the curveball edition with the sl- with the split finger that he already has is that it's going to help him tame right tame lefties and and he can have issues at times with left handers. Kevin Gaussman can so if he can if he can handle lefties and then keep the you know righties at bay with the fastball and split finger. 
I don't know. I think we could still see a nice season. Yeah. And, you know, on top of that, another thing that's been a problem for him has been the home run. And that might be the same problem. Um, it's hard to it's really hard to look at at, at, at hand to the splits for a young pitcher. Absolutely. Just you know, there aren't a lot of, of sample in each. But, um, you know, the, the there has been a home run problem. The slider got whooped to the tune of uh, the worst home run percentage of any of his pitches. The curve, he's thrown 181 of them. It has not given up a home run. And beyond that, it has not given up a fly ball. Wow. That's Nobody really has impressive. Nobody a fly ball off his curve. They cannot so elevate for, it. For a fly ball guy to have a pitch that's an extreme ground ball pitch, that you know that breaks the different way from your from your vaunted you know elite level split finger, so you know I, and I believe that he has two changeups and I agree and you know yes his his fastball is a little a little bit straight but all riding fastballs are a little bit straight and uh, he's got that ride and I don't know I'm happy I'm happy for him it's, yeah it's uh, good to, have him to, back. to be back up one thing I don't like though is that I heard that that and you know how he's bounced around between AAA and, and the majors and stuff yes. I heard that on some level this was about shoulder tendonitis and that this is not the first time this has come up and that, you know, some of this bouncing around has been to sort of monitor his workload and to and because of shoulder tendonitis, which oh, I really don't like. That's, no. That's like an ongoing problem. Yeah, that's, I didn't know that. Well, I've usually just yeah, been had, hammering Baltimore for doing that, but if there's a reason behind it, maybe there's egg on my face for that. Yeah, and I hate, you know, sort of, calling to authority but you know a lot of times it happens to on things like this where we think oh my god they're such idiots but really they know a little bit more than we do that's true but in the end in the end i would just say you know i heard it from a beat writer on mlb network i forget which one or else i'd, I'd credit them obviously and it seems like a plausible explanation for some of the stuff that he's gone through in the past and that takes some of the shine off him in keeper leagues uh but in a redraft league you know at this point he's back and you know what else are you going to do do you think he's a, a, a mixed leaguer? I mean, he's that, sort of right there that's at the borderline. The re- Kevin Gosman, do you go Gaussman or Gosman? Gosman is what baseball reference says. So I'm going to switch. I've been saying Gaussman this whole show. I'm going back to Gosman. <laughs> well, German, I think, would say Gaussman. So I'm going to go with Gaussman. Okay, I'm, I'm, back, I'm back on the Gaussman train then. <laughs> Forget you, baseball reference. You're the best website in the universe. Yeah, I'm a flip flopper, man. Sabathia, <laughs> Sabathia, I'm all over the place, y'all. No, honestly, I'm going to kind of straddle the fence, though, because I, I do think he's right on that cusp. I think you go out and pick up Gaussman right now and you take that shot that, yes, he is. But he is somebody that you have to have a short leash with because I don't think we've seen enough for you to blindly believe that he is mixed league relevant if he again kind of sputters. Like last year, 425 ERA, 123 whip. That's not special. You know, the whip's pretty good. And I always say, look at look at a whip and ERA in, in tandem and see which one maybe sticks out a little bit more. 123 whip is not extraordinary, but it's better than a 425 ERA. But that's where the home run issue comes into play yeah. because – you know, even if you're not putting guys on, if you're giving up that long ball. So if he keeps the ball in the yard a bit more and, you know, even if he doesn't improve the strikeouts, which I think he can, but at a 22% rate, I'll take that. That was 8.3 strikeouts last year. Just keep the ball in the yard more and I'll be happy with Kevin Gaussman as a mixed league asset. And so he's only 25. As hard as we've been on him, he still only has 273 major league innings under his belt. I will say yes right now, get him in every league type. Give him a few starts, and we'll go from there. Left my phone on. Sorry, I'm a clown. <laughs> well, I, I thought I, I'm just like you hear me tippity tapping. I'm I'm trying to uh, call up a would you rather list. Um, 
No, because you know, in the National League, I think we'd both be like, "Yep, yeah, go get them." Yes, hundred um, percent. You know, Baltimore is the hottest park, one of the hottest parks in the baseball, and so therefore one of the easiest places to hit a home run. And, that and division, so therefore, that the American well. League and division, yeah. So um, let's say Gerard Eikhoff just had a bad start. Uh, <sighs> Andrew Kashner's kind of just been, you know, blah. Flood- Blah. Not quite Trashner like he was early. I, was, I'll, I'll, I remove that moniker from him right now, but <laughs> I'm ready to give it back to him. Honestly, those two, they're kind of the NLAL version of each other almost in that, you know, I see somebody like Kashner and I think he, he's right out of central casting for what a stud pitcher should look like, but we haven't really seen it add up to what to what it what it's supposed to. And again, same with Gosman. He kind of looks the part for sure. He's six. Or, yeah. you know, he's got the power fastball. He's got the – so I'm going to go with, with Gossman right now. If I if I have to make that cut, I'm ready to make that cut because I think that Cashner's name is toxic enough that he would actually stay out there for me for a little bit. And let's say let's say I'm an itchy trigger finger. I'm actually not, but if you have one and Gossman gets ripped on both of these first starts and you want to make the change right again this weekend, I think you could do that. Again, I don't recommend that. But I think yeah, but there's also you could Kashner. Yeah, you could do something like uh, schedule wise. I mean, you could try you know get Gaussman in case he goes nuts the first couple uh, starts, and then you're then you've got the guy you want, and then you know if if he just has a sort of middling couple of starts, then you can look to the schedule and be like, well, is Kashner going to be home? I, you know, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure that the splits really help him because Kashner's given up a lot of home runs anyway. But you know, I'd rather have Kashner at home for a night game than. Then you know, then on the road, Gaussman and... anywhere in the division. To be honest, that's fair. Right. That's fair. Yeah, Again, so... those two are really close. So if you could play it that way, if you didn't even have to cut Kashner, and you could play schedules. Nate, Nate Carnes, uh, great strikeout numbers, has had home run issues in the past, and is is having them despite you know pitching in Seattle. Yeah, um, I've been a Ga- I I... I've been a Gaussman guy, so. I'm going to lean there because I just I, I still believe in that upside. I, I like some of the things that Carnes is doing, like you say, with the strikeouts, but the walks are way up, and they were always already kind of on the borderline. He's a fly ball guy, like you said, in that park. He's been giving up bombs. I, I'm I'm leaning away from from Carnes right now for in favor of Gaussman. Eduardo Rodriguez, who's about to come back, that they're going to give him two rehab starts. They said so. Henry Owens has a little bit of runway here with Joe Kelly out, and Rodriguez not yet back. Honestly, the easiest way to answer this is just that since Gaussman's here, I'm going Gaussman because I can kind of punt it down the road a little bit with Eduardo Rodriguez. Although if you're in a sharp league, you might want to pounce on Rodriguez right now because he's cheap. You know, if you're in a 12-team mixer, you might just be sitting there on the wire, but I would not do that over Gaussman. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're we've got I think we've got say Gaussman run around 60. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's correct. This next guy is not around 60 though. And, and he, you might be replacing him with, with Gaussman. If you're in an AL only league, it's Carlos Carrasco. He's going to be out four to six weeks with a hamstring strain. Honestly, this might almost be good news considering how it looked. Uh, Jason, and I talked about it last night. He was saying it looked way worse. Went back and looked at the video myself. And I agree that it looked like a knee injury could be in there and, and it could be a really bad situation. So the fact that, you know, he's going on the 15 day DL with a hamstring strain, it's going to be four to six weeks think we kind of got off better than we could uh, could have expected after seeing the video for Carrasco. 
What do you do here, though? Because this is a tough one to lose. This is this is a lot of people's ace. And at the very least, it's their second best pitcher. So it's a big hit out of the out of the rotation. How do you feel about Carrasco? And then we'll throw out some names for potential replacements. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that he was he was down, you know, more than a lot of people out there that we would talk about, you know, being down. He was down a, a tick and a half. He's not going to get all that back. So, you know, time has already started for him at 29. Um, and, Stupid time. Uh, I hate time. It always wins. Yeah, it was my wife's birthday today. Oh, so happy birthday to her. Um, you know, I, I and you know, swing strike rate down considerably from the last two years, and and strikeout rate, but he's managed to remain aggressive. You know, in the zone, despite you know giving up a bunch of homers, it's just you know because he hasn't had any base runners, it's been all right. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, he was pitching like an ace, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's it's sad it's sad to see him go down. And when he goes down, it, it's really there's nothing to be done. You you no. put him on your on your DL. And you really have, I think there's two choices. You have one choice where you really watch the schedule and you just basically, you're, you're, th- this is the, the approach for floor, right? And you say, I'm going to go for floor and I just want to have something that's a little bit better than replacement level in there for Carrasco while he was gone. Mm-hmm. And then Carrasco's going to come back and be great. And so that, I think that one, you watch, you know, Gaussman and Kashner and all those guys, you watch the schedule. And it's not necessarily streaming, but it's like, okay, well, you know, here's two starts or here's a nice start that I like. Not like, oh, tomorrow I need a start. It's more tomorrow, uh, Kashner is going up against um, Philadelphia. Well, he's going to be at San Francisco tomorrow. What about that start? That's pretty decent. The, the, the San Francisco offense, though, That's the thing. if you look at it. They're good. Yeah, if, yeah, if you look at yeah, exactly. And they, you know, if you, if you look too much at like the last – you know, couple of days or whatever, then, you, or, or, you know, the, the, the losing streak, then you'll get like, you know, some, some bad scores in there, but you know, they can, they can turn it on at any time. And, um, and well, so they can I, nickel and dime you in that park. Yeah. yeah. And that's been a problem for Cashner's is Babip is through the roof. He is allowing a lot of hits. It's not just home runs. So maybe that's not an ideal one. I've got a handful of names here who are under, 50. but I, I just want oh, to sorry. say the Go other, the, the other approach would be, uh, to pick up like the Eduardo Rodriguez's and, uh, you know, basically allow some innings to go away, mm-hmm. right? To be more uh, conservative with your innings and take a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez who's not going to play for a couple weeks. So you are going to fall behind in your innings pace if this is sort of a road rotowire thing, right? And uh, you are going to fa- fall behind your innings pace. But what you're hoping is that you're going to spend the next two, three, four, five weeks looking for. Um, looking for another ace, you know what yes. I mean? So you, you take all the highest upside guys. Maybe you pick up Berrios or Alex Meyer, who just came up. Um, you, you you look around for guys, Giolito, and you just pick those guys up because you have a roster spot. And, 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 you, and you just hope they come up soon. And if they come up and they're great, then all of a sudden you have that plus Carrasco and you can make up innings, uh, you know, at the end of the year by sort of bringing that new guy in more often. Okay. So I think there's two different ways to go at it. And um, it's really about how much you want to you want to manage your team, how much you want to be on top of it day-to-day, how much you want to be looking at schedules, how comfortable you are streaming, semi-streaming, that sort of deal. Exactly. But I think that it's two different ways to look at. You know, when people ask me things like, should I – somebody just picked, said, should I pick up 
uh, Nick Tropiano, right? And they did tell me that it was a 12-teamer. But my question back to them is almost always, who's your dropper? Because that tells me a lot about what's going on in your league, too. It's always important. And that's another case in like a two-for-one trade. uh, Just kind of tangentially here, if you're going to email about a trade and and you're doing a two-for-one, tell us who you're dropping. Because that does matter. Because it goes out into the pool. And maybe we say, no, 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 you can't drop that guy just for this this two-for-one. That's not a good two-for-one. So I do think that that's important. Who are you going to cut to get Tropiano? Is he even worse than Tropiano? Yeah, and and, and like Trop, and, and and also kind of. I mean, it's really hard to give advice, and so sometimes I just try to just be as quick as possible and, and move on. But you know, really, a lot of times I do a lot of back and forth because I would rather also know for Tropiano if it's daily or weekly leagues because I love Tropiano at home. You know, there's a guy who has a home run issue pitching in one of the better parks in 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 the, in the American League. So, um, you know, I love Tropiano at home, and he's the kind of guy that, you know, it, it would go in that 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 Gaussman Kashner mix. That's, you know, right there in mixed leagues, interesting. Uh, but I want the situation to be correct for me to really start them. If you can put them on your bench and play them only when they're at home, you know, the half pitcher move, Mm -hmm. uh, then I like those guys a lot better. Absolutely. I think that that totally makes sense. I got a few names for you uh, as potential Kashner, or excuse me, potential Carrasco guys. Honestly, um, all all three of the AL pitchers that I mentioned that we were going to talk about could probably fit here, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil them. So, so we're going to leave those names. We'll circle back to them. What about somebody like, let's see here. We already talked about cash. What about Rick? Uh, no, dang it. I just spoiled one. I'm a stupid idiot. Clay Buckholz. He's 40% at Yahoo. So all these guys are under 50% at Yahoo. So they're pretty widely available. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna maybe throw him in the... I mean, he's um, been brutal. I, we all know my answer, but I'm, I want to get an independent that's why, party. That's why I didn't throw him in the would you rathers, because it's like, I don't think either of us is really in on it. Yeah, you'd know you'd be wasting your time if you hit me with it. Uh, right. I mean, you know, now the, the swing strike rate for, for Buckles is even mediocre. Um, and, and that was something that was that went really well for him last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now even the ground ball rate is, is mediocre. And uh, these things can change from start to start. But, you know, the velocity is the worst it's ever been. Uh, you know, the cutter percentage is the most it's ever been. You know, it just doesn't it doesn't hit me as like. Oh yeah, he's doing something that's gonna turn around yeah. any second. I don't even I don't even think your floor case works here. I I, I just I'm not yeah. not all that interested. Yeah, him on the road, but not in the division. So you're like him on the the road against Cleveland. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, where, <laughs> oh, honestly, tonight at Atlanta would work, but this isn't even gonna oh, come yeah. out in time for you to do it. So sorry about that. We had to yeah. we had to record a little later. There it goes. Watch it go. <laughs> this is another one. Unfortunately, that uh, tonight might be a decent start for him. Uh, Brandon Finnegan, he's going to be at the Mets, but again, sorry, we had to record a little late today. Uh, oh, I, I have a little bit more love for him. I figured, I figured. So yeah, t- talk to us a little bit about Finnegan. He had that strike rate is back is basically where Buckles is, was last year. He's in the easier league. He's in the tougher park, but you know you can manage that with you know uh, slightly lower power guys uh, and, and and playing him on the on the on the on the road more. But, you know, and then on top of that, with the pitching mix thing, he's throwing 23% change-ups. Oh, wow. And 
Uh, oh, and that's, know, that was – sorry. You mentioned that right away with him, though, when we talked about him last time, that he was using it and that that was a big confidence booster seven straight for you. Guy. Yes. So, you know, he's definitely uh, – it may not be the best changeup in the world, but he's telling everybody, I believe in this thing, so you better – you know, it's a real thing. I have four pitches. Yes, respect uh, You know, and, and, and think about that uh, when, when, when we're pitching here. So there's, there's four pitches coming at you, and it's not – it's not like, oh, maybe a changeup when I'm ahead 0-2 and you're a lefty. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the command isn't very good. It, you know, it's not very good. I think we've it's, seen that play out since the uh, the near no-no with the, versus the Cubs. He's, he's been kind of up and down. He got a handful of unearned runs for Finnegan that kind of saved the ERA. But the upside is there. And so that's probably more of the, the secondary approach that you're talking about where you take some yeah. gambles on some guys hoping to strike it rich. Um, yeah, and I, that's the kind of one where I'd take Finnegan, especially if I just lost Carrasco. I'd take Finnegan, and I might do this in one league, take Finnegan, put him on my roster, and not start him all the time. You mm-hmm. know, like I said, the half-pitcher approach, and, and just sort of manage him uh, and try to get, you know, what would what would six weeks of Carrasco be anyway? That would be, um, you know, like 10 starts maybe? Yeah, thereabouts. I think that that's accurate. So about yeah, 70. 50 innings? Well, he, he, 50 50 to 70 innings. Yeah, if you're saying 10 starts, he goes more than six per, so about about 60 to 70. I was going to say you wanted 60 innings. You know, if you put Finnegan on, I feel comfortable probably starting him for like 30 of those. Yeah, give uh, give him a five, chunk of that. Six starts out of those 10. But, you know, that means you're only 30, 30 back. You maybe got some good numbers, and then if, if Finnegan develops into a guy you start all the time, when Carrasco comes back, you just you, you figure something else out with another pitcher, maybe put him in a deal, or whatever. You have an asset, you know. So I, I I do a lot of asset building, and I also do you know I'm more likely to do that in like an 11 team league uh, where I have Carrasco, you know, because then I can I can build I can find an asset and then hopefully either trade him or he turns into a real asset rather than really trying to every day be on waivers and you know find a find a start for tomorrow and all that crap. You know, I there's totally a lot agree. of risk. You know, day to day. I, I'm more in, in that secondary approach as well, where I'm going to be trying to get some some pieces that are going to strike it rich. I'm not sure you're going to strike it rich with this last name, and the only reason I'm doing one more is because, like I said, we've got three AL guys we're going to talk about, and they would all fit this criteria. I don't think you're going to strike it rich with Ross Stripling. I've been I've been comparing him statistically to. Uh, Chris Heston, I think he's going to be this year's Chris Heston, although he didn't get his no-no. Uh, you know, he's going to be solid. He's, he looks great right now with the numbers, but I think by the end of the year, it's going to be a upper threes, low fours ERA. What about Ross Stripling? First off, what have you seen from him in, in three starts? And secondly, is he somebody that you might pick up as a fill-in for Carrasco? He's a he's an interesting cat because the fastball is super straight to the point where it might be something that, you, that someone would describe as having natural cut or whatever. Okay. So, um, you know, it's weird that he has a good ground ball rate. And I don't know if I believe it or not, but he also didn't have great strikeout rates in the minor leagues, so it's possible that he was doing that on uh, on ground balls. But, um, well, I'll take, you know. I'll take a look for you. Go ahead and keep talking, and I can – there is a website that the gives us some secondary stuff. All gets excellent ground ball rates, so it might all be from that. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. It might be one of those things where his fastball he uses for whiffs uh, and pop ups, um, and the the change the side and the curve 
which are all pretty good actually. I mean, the the the, the curve is a nice uh, big old hammer. Uh, he used it pretty well. The change has has good movement. It's a bit of a straight change, but uh, it has decent uh, velocity gap and has and been getting lifts. So, uh, you know, he, he's a little bit like a Chase Whitley or something, where or an Adam Warren, where the fastball isn't great. It has some flaws to it. Uh, you know, it tops out at about average velocity, and uh, like I said, it, it's straight but has rise. Um, you know, I think it'll be the kind of thing that is harder to see, like godly a little bit. Zach godly, yeah. Some, yeah, there's some weird movements that make him have a couple good starts at first, but then once people get video and uh, the word gets out about how differently he uses his fastball and stuff, you know, that if you see fastball, it's going to be up, and if you see anything else, it's going to be down. You know, that can lead to adjustments by the batters that'll make his numbers go more in line with his projections. Like, I don't see something that stands out that says, oh, these projections are wrong. And all the projections are really mediocre. So, yeah. um, Okay, so Stripling fits probably that first category that you're talking about where you're just streaming, you're looking every night, and you might pick him up because he's going to San Diego or um, yeah. you know, Milwaukee's coming to, to L.A. or something like that. Yeah, okay. yeah, Philly, Philly, you know, yeah. good matchups, you know, especially also good matchups who haven't seen them before. That's a good point. So, because uh, there's not a lot of guys who have his mix. I mean, just what I just explained, like, you know, rising fastball up in the zone, uh, you know, but not good velocity, uh, plus, uh, plus all this, like, you know, decent secondary stuff. It's, it's, uh, Although you know maybe Warren and and uh, yeah I stand by you know, some of the Warren the Warren that, and, that, and that's a good comp I, I actually like that one better than Heston so if I'm wrong and and he's not quite Heston which is probably a, a rung lower and he is Warren I become a little bit more interested plus you know you're mentioning that he works the fastball up does Ross Stripling that's where you can get effective velocity so it might come in 90 91 on the gun but if you're working particularly up and in it's looking three, four, five miles per hour faster to a lot of guys. So, you know, that might not be so bad. And he uses all three of his secondary pitches quite a bit. The lowest one is the slider at 12%. And he's got yeah. four velocity bands. So I might be underselling Ross, uh, Ross Stripling a little bit. I still think he's more Heston than anything. But I also don't think Heston is, like, complete trash. So I'm not, I'm not when I say that, I'm not I'd trying put to him on, I'd him. put him around. I mean, all the guys we've talked about so far have been 60s to 70s. I'd probably put Stripling around 80. Okay, yeah, uh, overall, we're not talking uh, scouting grades. For a second, I thought we were. I was like, yeah. What do you mean, sixty? Yeah, yeah, no, 80, 80th uh, ranked. Yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, sometime mixed leaguer, fifteen team stream, streamer. You know, right in there can get hot, but but most part, more of an NL guy. Okay, cool. Next up, Joaquin Benoit going to the DL. Now, this is an interesting one, and you could have used this news a couple hours before you were making moves. Actually, yesterday night when you were making moves because you cut Tony Zick. And he becomes kind of the second in command right now. However, it's not as pressing as maybe it would have been if Steve Sishek was failing. He's actually looked pretty darn good uh, coming out of the Mar Mariners bullpen. He's got a strikeout rate back up to 20 28%, excuse me, 3% on the walk rate, which is actually a career best right now. Obviously, we got to see if it's going to hold, but that's really impressive for Steve Sishek. The one thing that's different and, and kind of interesting to me not necessarily in a good way, is that he doesn't have the ground balls of, of yesteryear. He used to be a heavy ground ball guy. His career mark for Sishik is 50%. He's only at 41% this year. So nine innings, 
who knows how stable that is that even is with the ground ball rate. But I do like seeing the, the strikeout rate surge back up. So maybe cutting Zick isn't the end of the world. But but tell us talk to us a little bit about that Seattle uh, bullpen situation with Benoit going to the DL for a while. Yeah, I mean Zick is definitely number two, and um, you know Benoit's shoulder. Nobody likes to hear a shoulder thing. Definitely the worst ground ball rate of of Sushek's career, which is also weird because he's a little bit almost of a sidearm. Exactly, he's got a weird it's like right. natural ground baller usually. Yeah, so you know you kind of you're that's a little bit of a weird sign, but um, you know, and as far as I'm gonna say that his velocity is up because it's 91 compared to like 90.7 last year. Uh, that may not sound like a big deal, but it you know plus he, he's gonna get another tick over the course of the year, so you know. Uh, the fact that he's, you know, almost 91 now, I think that we're going to see some 92s and maybe even some games of 93 near the end of the season. Yeah, uh, Brooks uh, actually, sorry, Brooks actually has him 91.8. In the last April, he was 90.5. So he's up a, a tick, almost a tick and a half. That is scandal. right. Like he's basically at peak velocity from last year, which so, which is huge in the first month of the season. Right, yeah. So, and he's traditionally he's been bad uh, in the in the first month of the season for a couple of the seasons where he definitely gets the full tick over this course of the season. So now, let's talk Zick. Tony Zick, Z Y C H. It is Zick. I've uh, been corrected on that, and it is Zick. So, this could actually be pretty interesting for him. Not so much because, like I said, C-Shack, he is pitching well, but just as a really quality eighth inning guy, because you talk about the shoulder inflammation for Benoit, it was kind of showing up in his numbers, too. He was walking a lot more than we usually see him. A couple, I think he had two two-walk appearances. I might not have that right, but I know he had four or five walks, which is usually something that Benoit does not do. He usually has a, a better-than-average uh, to really great walk rate. So that might have been some of the shoulder barking, and this could be a long-term situation. So then Zick's sitting there on the cusp as the eighth-inning guy. What do you know about Tony Zick, this, uh, this really interesting middle reliever for Seattle? Just a crazy slider. You know, it's a good slider. And, you know, another just another kind of guy they came up with because they traded away um uh who did they trade away carson smith oh yeah and, that's right that and that and they, maybe they felt comfortable moving smith in that boston deal all of us kind of freaked out at that like why did you do that and i think carson's on the dl right uh smith's on the dl right now meanwhile zick 25 year old fireballer with a nasty slider could be could be pretty impressive yeah and, you know, he's always had this nasty slider. And I remember last year, uh, somebody on Twitter said, you know, why don't why don't why don't teams just look for guys that have, you know, elite rates, even in, you know, 150, 200 pitch samples on, on certain pitches and just fill their fill their, you know, their their bullpen with guys like that. Mm -hmm. And then he listed, you know, Zick, Givens, uh, I forget who else. And I, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree because I've been doing work like that. But, you know, to put it so succinctly, I, I agree. And he's kept up these uh, those whiff rates uh, ever since then. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, it's one of those things where it's like got average velocity, but it's got, you know, two, three more inches drop than usual. So and this is his slider for Zick, right? Yeah, at 84 miles an hour. It is really far away from his 90s you know, 95 mile an hour fastball, but the movement's so different that, you know, I don't know. I think that people, he, 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 you know, he doesn't have the 
like most amazing uh, swing strike rate to go with this amazing strikeout rate. So some of it is also volume. So I, I think that he probably does th- throw a lot of sliders and fastball counts and then kind of come back at them with fastball and slider counts, you know, trying to get them to, to sit slider and then come, come at them with 95. Yeah, because you're not going to so, be able to catch up to that when you're, when you're sitting on an 84-mile-an-hour slider. Yeah, and, you know, throwing the slider like 45% of the time means that he definitely— It's, yeah, uh, it's a 50-50 proposition almost. I mean, he's up there, like you said, 40, 43% for his career for the slider, which, by the way, you know, side note, it's a good pitch, but it also can bring in some injury risk. When you're, when you're using it that much, it can be an injury uh, risk sort of situation. We've seen that with Tyson Ross. We were worried about him. Could be the case with somebody like Chris Archer who uses his 30% of the time as a starter. So when you're using your slider that much, even when it's a good pitch, it's not it's not just a, a blind positive. It can still have repercussions. Yeah. So I, I mean, I really like him, and you know, it's it's not kind of um, it's not the deal where you know he's 80 miles an hour. It's not Luke Gregerson. You know, it could be it could be Gregerson plus. You know, it could be it could be a, a guy who can you know, have that feel for the, for the, um, for the slider, but also, you know, come at you with 95. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, there's a lot of potential in that arm and he's really, he's really doing well. Sishek, I just, I would just look for, you know, continued absence of, of ground balls because that's part of his game. It's not necessarily predictive for, for pitchers to, you know, ground ball rate is not predictive for closer change, but in this case, it would be saying, okay, there's some cracks in Sishek's armor here. Yeah, I would say he's and, not quite himself. And, and yeah, so, he's not quite himself, and maybe, you know, the velocity doesn't, you know, trend upwards. Uh, he, he, Sishek does, there is a little bit of orangeness to his, his light there. If you were talking about yellow, yellow light, red light, you know, there's a little bit of orangeness to his light in that he's, he's part of the three, you know, lowest velocity closers in the game. So... You know, I, I, I'm trying to think of it. It's probably Melanson, Ziegler, and um, and uh, Sisak. Okay. You know, and uh, if you add in, you know, lowest strikeout rate with lowest velocity, because these are the things that we always talk about with bullpens, then you're going to add in, uh, you're probably going to keep most of those guys, yeah, because Ziegler doesn't have a great strikeout rate. Uh, Melanson doesn't either. And you're going to add Casilla and Tolleson. So that's, I think, your five ripest situations that aren't full-on disaster, foobar, you know, <laughs> Philly. I don't know if Philly qualifies, but, you no, know. No, Philly is the, the foobar situation. of Well, I think it, it is. You could throw Gomez in that gro- group anyway. Yeah. That, those six closers that I think are on the shakiest grounds. And so Sishak is in there, even though his his results have been good. Exactly. You know? I don't think we're out of the woods yet after nine innings, especially when he's not really 100% himself yet. He's rocking a 143 BABIP, 100% left on base rate. We still have to see more from Sishak till we feel comfortable that the 33, 30-year-old has gotten back on track. So just keep Zick on your radar. Uh, the Benoit thing could be a while. He's very old, and so that could be a situation that, uh, you know, if Sishek falters, Zick's right in, and, and we're off and running. You know who isn't off and running, though? That's transition, folks. You got you to gotta love it. Uh, Byron Buxton. He's, he's off and running to AAA. He's out of here. Oh, God. You like that? Uh, <laughs> you're, you're a Max Kepler guy. Uh, that, that's one of your guys that you like, and 
you've invested in him and I broke the news to you. You didn't know that, that Byron Buxton was demoted. We were talking about a, a potential trade that you're doing. I said, you know what? You got to keep Kepler because now he's got a good chance to maybe make some noise with Buxton gone. And so Buxton gets sent out. It does open up a little bit of playing time. Before we talk about the potential playing time situation there, what do you think about Buxton? I know it's too early to, to write him off. I know people want to, oh, God, he sucks. This is never going to pan out. How is he the number two overall draft pick? Blah, 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 blah. It was 49 plate appearances. He's looked ugly. It was 138 last year. He looked ugly. It hasn't been good. I, I'm not going to try to spin it any other way. But it all totals up to 187 plate appearances. It's, it's a nothing sample still. So I'm reluctant to just write him off. But I am curious what, you, what you've seen from the 22-year-old Buxton. And, and what are your hopes for the rest of this year? Buxton is one of these guys. It's very rare. But I, one of these guys I would tell to swing more. And the reason that I say that is that his swing averages are below average for, for – um, for the major leagues. Wow. But his reach rates are above average and his zone swing rates are below average. So he's this is just like, you know, uh, in his head. You know, he's he's all messed up. Swinging at the wrong stuff. He's swinging at the wrong stuff. And I think it's probably uh, from an idea that he needs to walk, he needs to be at the top of the lineup, maybe the development, the hitters develop. They said they want to see some walks out of him. Um, maybe he just, you know, Adam Eaton told me that at the top of the lineup, he feels a need to see more pitches, uh, and to, to have guys, uh, to see more pitches, you know, so that the guys behind him on the bench can see more pitches, like literally from the, from the dugout can see, uh, what the guy's throwing. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's, you know, a sort of leadoff player type mentality, even if he's not always technically in leadoff, I think those are the things he's thinking about plus, plus you know, come to the big leagues, and all of a sudden, they these guys can throw any pitch in any count, you know, and command it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think he's probably just all screwed up in his head. And I think if I was advising him, I'd say, free your mind, of and these the rest things. will follow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Be colorblind. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I would I would tell him to to just swing away, man. Just be yourself again. Swing away, start making contact. You'll start to feel the better pitches and 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 be aggressive and get fastballs, be aggressive on fastball counts, that sort of stuff. So I think still think there's hope, but I'm um, I would say that I'm a little bit more on the negative side um, than uh, than you might be. I'm a little worried that we've got a Cameron Maben situation no, no, no. here. You, you again. You've been on my computer all day. We were, this is an offline joke that we were saying. Like, <laughs> you you were you name checked Justin Bohr as I was looking him up. We weren't talking about it. It was completely out of nowhere. Anyway, you're in my head though, because I am a little bit on the more negative side as well. I, even though as I preach, it's 187 plate appearances. Let's not freak out. I am still. I do want to see that more time of gameplay because I am a little bit nervous. I, I definitely am a little bit nervous with him. And Cameron Maben is an interesting name for you to check there. Miggy goes yard. Heck yeah. Eat it. Kendall Graveman. I know that's one of your boys, but got to eat it. Um, I'll take the Caribbean. I'll take a home run. <laughs> talk a little bit about why, why you might see a, a comparison like that though, because that was a guy who we all thought the world of uh, by and large, and not just a Tigers fan like myself, but he was a top 10 type prospect. He, 
fitting that Miggy would hit a home run because he was a key component of that Miguel Cabrera deal. And it just never really panned out. He ended up he's ended up having a, a career. You know, he's still in the league, of course, and he's trying to return from an injury. He's going to be a, you know, 10, 12 year player pretty easily, maybe even 15 years because he's only 28 years or 29 years old. So, you know, he's going to be in the majors for a long time, but never really panned out. Why does why does Buxton have similar qualities there? Well, I mean, first of all, they, uh, you know, what what age did he debut at? Um, he debuted at maybe, 20, which was too 20. early, by the way. The Tigers had no business bringing him up. But so just a, just a year off the pace of what with Buxton coming up last year. With a really similar swinging strike rate to Buxton. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, you know, astronomical swinging strike rate. Uh, small sample, but just, you know, couldn't walk. And and for what it's worth, the, the slight difference between them is that Maybin walked more and struck out more in the minors. So he was a little bit more of like maybe a, it's not three true two outcome because he's fast and, you know, it's not quite that. But, you know, a little bit more trending towards three true outcome than Buxton, who's had lower walk rates and lower strikeout rates for the most part. But, you know, I think both of them, you know, where Maven was around 22 to 23 percent in the minor leagues and Buxton was, you know, uh, you know, more. Uh, 20 with some 25s in there, but really mostly around 20%. Uh, I, I, you know, I think 20% strikeouts can go any in any direction. You know, 20% strikeouts in the minor leagues is really doesn't tell me a lot. No, it's, uh, it could come up to the big leagues and be 25, I think, and and that's where I'm worried that um, Buxton is going to settle in at 25 to 28. And, uh, you know, Maven really was there for a while, 25, 28. It took him until four years into his career when he went to the Padres to get to 22. And then actually it took him to 2012, his fifth year in the big leagues, um, when he finally got his strikeout rate below average. And that was uh, almost a thousand probably more than a thousand plate appearances. I can't do math in my head there, but it, it, it it was a sizable sample at that point. Yeah, and, and so I could see Buxton struggling to get the strikeout rate to a manageable point. Um, you know, and the strikeout rate is not, you know, it's not the strikeouts themselves. It's just what it does to your fantasy game and really to your game at large. It's hard to make a ton of power if you're one of these kind of league average power guys also struggling with the strikeout rate. Um, and that's not going to turn into a lot of, uh, you know, batting average. And it's not going to give you a lot of home runs. I mean, maybe it was really bad. You know, two thirty-eight home runs, nine stolen bases in twenty ten with the Marlins. It was it was brutal, and it just was looking like this guy's never going to become anything. And then he finally had that that twenty eleven season with years. the Padres, where he stole forty bases. But even since then, and then injuries. In his, what's that? Yeah, yeah, in his peak in his peak age range, you know. Yeah, and, and but now injuries have kind of ravaged him, which has been a bit of an issue. And obviously, he's re- rehabbing from one right now. So you know, what, what, and and what Buxton. We don't know. We don't know. Same, know, same kind of be. thing. He's been having could injury be. issues. And so, yeah. again, we, we're, we're, we're plenty willing to give time here, even though we are a little bit on the negative side of we would never write him off after such a small sample. Just saying that for a guy who is that super uber top prospect, he might be one of those ones that falls more in his mid-range outcomes as opposed to his peak range. Yeah, I mean, everybody has a price, and I'd buy him if someone was giving me him as like a top 50 prospect, you know, yes. uh, then sure. I'll buy in because he was a top 10 prospect. Those guys have good bus rates. I won't have to wait that long. He'll, you know, he'll be back up again this year or next year. 
uh, is a dynasty league where I'm comfortable having, uh, you know, having guys like that on my roster. That's fine. And if you, but no one's going to give me that price. Well, because everybody's like, oh, I remember this. I'm, I've been, or I've been holding on to this forever. Or you know, there's always a reason to, to you know. There's very few people out there who are like that. That's it. I'm throwing away this Buxton ticket. Especially if you bought him this year, because you you probably felt good. It it looked like honestly. Here here's one. If you want to feel better about where it's headed in terms of okay, he got sent down and it doesn't look good for Buxton. Let's think about Rugnet Odor from last year and remember mm-hmm. how poor he was when when his season was going. Now he got a little bit longer leash. He got I think two extra weeks. I think it was May twelfth when he was sent down. I don't know for certain, but. The date doesn't really matter. It was it was early May. He'd been hitting 150, uh, sub 500 OPS, and it was brutal. He goes down, gets some confidence, starts feeling good about himself, starts hitting the ball at AAA. Probably worked on some mechanical things. I don't I don't know the whole situation. Came back up, played like an all star for the rest of the season. That's not completely out of the realm of possibilities for Buxton to go down, get a little bit more seasoning, feel some success and then get back to the majors. Like you said, he's going to come back this year. It's really just a matter of when, not if. Yeah. The only thing I would say is that, you know, Odor probably has, it's it's hard to, to really figure these things out, but I think that Odor probably has a, a better power tool. And Andy uh, had a bigger MLB sample before. So. Bigger MLB sample, maybe a better contact tool, you know, maybe a better hit tool. Um, so there, there are some very important things that he has over him. Obviously, Buxton has speed and defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's also my sort of general sense that that's the worst kind of prospect. Uh, speed, you know, the speed more and contact. Yeah, the more your prospect value is derived from your legs uh, and your defense, the less I'm interested in you in, in fantasy baseball. I think that's fair, especially because. You know, that's why I was. I don't have any Lindor shares. You know, I was a little bit worried. That's all it was. Well, we didn't. Yeah, we honestly, he continues to just surprise. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think you use him as a reason to go against that theory. Yeah, I, I, you'll you'll miss some guys. You'll miss some guys. But uh, you know, as hard as bad as Billy Hamilton looks, and I take no joy in it. No. Uh, you know, he's. I think he's representative of a class of players where. You know, if you don't have great plate discipline and you're not going to knock every ball that you make contact with out of the yard or hit the ball on the ground. That's the thing, too, for with Hamilton. That's so frustrating is he should have a he should have Christian Yelich's ground ball rate. Yeah, he's getting there, but he he just doesn't have Christian Yelich's ability to the exit velocity, tool, the hit tool. You know, he doesn't have. When he hits the ball, it doesn't go hard. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to also be able to hit like Christian Yelich. That that's a, that is a, an important key. You're definitely right there. So, you know, oh, we have breaking news. Air horn, air horn. What do we got? Mr. Gaussman Gossman is hitting 99 in the first inning. Yes, I thought you were going to say something bad. That's awesome. Has blown out his now. Uh, no, so it's just a hey, little thing. small thing as well. This is also breaking from uh, from when we first started because we talked about Carrasco. Uh, it's been officially announced that ba- Trevor Bauer is going to take his spot in the rotation. Did that do anything for you? I know we've talked about him a lot in the past, but we haven't really done much this year because he was in the bullpen. Is he somebody that you would consider for the AL only replacement, uh, or would you actually dip in the mixed league for Bauer as your, as your Carrasco replacement? Let's say 15 team, 10 and 12 team. I think that's no, no. You know, I have uh, Cody Anderson and Trevor Bauer now in uh, <laughs> AL labor, and lucky you. I, 
<laughs> Holmes sarcasm. Man. Uh, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm just waiting for one of them to poop and one of them to get off the body. Or or I don't even know if that. I like it. Works. No, we're going with it. Don't even backtrack. Plow ahead. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving it. One of them has to poop. One of them has to get off the pot. They're both occupying this toilet half half each. Yeah. One of them to use it and the other one to move. It's really awkward for the it's rest of the people. Very the bizarre. Everyone's just like. <laughs> I mean, all the other stalls are open. I don't know why they didn't use. Anyway, Do you both have to poop or what? <laughs> I, I think Cody's just here to be here. It's very weird. All right, we got to move on from Bucks. Then we got. I think I. I mean, I just honestly, I think I like Bauer better because than the two because he just he gets more whiffs. I mean, Anderson hasn't really really turned any of the stuff into whiffs. No, we haven't. So we haven't seen that that spring promise really turn into even skills this year. I don't even care about the results necessarily. I would just like to see the skills have improved from Cody Anderson and we haven't seen that. Yeah, there's no whiffs. It's 9%. That's most of the, and most of that extra velocity that had all this all excited is gone. He's up a little bit, but not a lot. So, well, you know, here's the above velocity, but no, no grounders, no whiffs. It's weird. I will say this though, Jeff Jeff Sullivan's article title is still apt because he does look like Matt Harvey because Matt Harvey sucks too. They actually have oh, hey, the no. same. They have the same fourteen percent strikeout rate. It's actually dead even. It's fourteen point three for both of them. They have the same nine percent swinging strike rate. So Jeff, your article still perfectly works. Um, obviously, I'm not. I love Harvey, so I'm just taking. I'm taking a shot. It happens. Let's move on. We got three AL arms to talk about here. And they're all veterans at this point, some older than the others, but they're all really excelling. And I'm just curious if you're buying it at all. And the first one is Ricky Nolasco. And I know, I hope one of y'all at least did a spit take. Uh, they were taking a drink right when I said that. And they're like, oh my God, are they really talking about Ricky Nolasco? I am, because I look. Doing a cough take. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a cough take. Any, any sort of take that made you react when I brought up Ricky Nolasco as a serious fantasy topic. He's 33 years old, but he was so brutal last year for only 37 innings. It was kind of an injury ravaged, garbage season. Even if you throw that out, though, and you cycle back to 2014, that was even worse, a 17% strikeout rate. Nothing really worked for him, and it was hard to drum up any interest in Nolasco. Now, the one thing that he had, the one thing that maybe made him like a $1 guy in AL is that he was going to be a warm body because you knew with the contract that he had, they were at least going to give him a chance. And and if, if sometimes when you're getting that eighth, ninth guy in an AL only, a 12-teamer or something, you're just like, give me somebody who is alive. And Nolasco was at least half alive. Now he looks fully alive, though. Um, <laughs> the strikeout rate is still not impressive. It's at 19%. Zombie. He could be the fantasy zombie. Again, hat tip to Matthew and Nate. Walk rate cut in half to 4%. Now, that's actually back in line with what he did prior to 2015. But from 2015, it's cut in half. Ground ball rate has surged to a career-high 53%. Notice I haven't mentioned the results yet. It's 266 ERA and a .98 whip. So uh, we're not expecting those two things to last. But can he be a 330 to 350 ERA guy with a 120 whip? Is that possible for Ricky Nolasco? Are you buying any of this? Are there any changes behind the arsenal or or the approach that, that make this somewhat believable after three starts? You're really going to push me to that nexus where I have to choose my dogma versus like you're damn right just stark reality yes. because because he actually has changed something <laughs> in that he's throwing the slider like all the time but we don't want to believe it because it's Ricky Nolasco <laughs> right yeah like the the and 
And when I'm looking at these pitch type rates, I'm like, oh, wow, the slider rate has significantly the best ball rate of, of any of his pitches. Oh, wow. And, you know, it has the best swing rate, and it has above average whiffs. So, you know, when they let it go by, it's still not a ball a lot. So, you know, maybe he's throwing – so he's throwing sliders and fastball counts, and they're not swinging, and, and, and he's able to command it, it seems like. Um, he's, so he's in the zone 56% of the time, which is his highest since all the way back in 2008. And his first, and pitch, that's because he's throwing the sliders in the, in, in the zone. Exactly. Me, we have on our pitch FX page. One thing that is really nice that nobody else has is we have zone rates on pitches. And that's important because it takes confidence to, to throw some pitches in the zone. And if you see it like a Lance McCullers changeup, you'll see it has a really low zone percentage because he doesn't have the confidence or the command with that pitch. And, and I know that zone percentage isn't a great, overall proxy for command uh but when you look at it per pitch you can get a little bit of an idea of what's going on with it you can definitely see when guys are throwing it in the zone like for example rich hill leads all of baseball in curveball zone that doesn't surprise me because he probably leads them in curveball percentage he loves that pitch and it's it's getting those strikeouts he's he's also trying to get you not to swing at the curveball and i'm gonna throw it in the zone and get a strike Mm -hmm. so uh you know that's i think uh that's the brilliance of uh, of rich hill the thing that makes him so painful to watch, and I don't think I'm going to own many shares of him, I don't have any, is that he can't spot the fastball at all. So you're talking about curve, like having to get the curveball over for strikes. And if it's you don't, so that's why weird. he's got tons of walks in those games. It's so weird. You know? And honestly, to your point, I'm not going to have him either. And what I've said, I wrote this up uh, over at Rotowire on the weekend. He's just going to be one of those guys that's going to be so annoying. You're not going to know, like tomorrow, it looks like, the Tigers, they should they should crush a guy like that. And because baseball <laughs> is baseball, he's probably going to get 15 strikeouts and go seven scoreless. Well, then he's going to face a team, you know, he's going to do an interleague game against Atlanta. And it's like, oh, my God, he should kill Atlanta. They're terrible. And they're going to blast him for seven runs in four <laughs> innings. It's going to be one of those seasons. And so that's why I jumped off the bandwagon so quickly this year. I just realized it was going to be like that for the reason that you said, the fastball command or severe lack thereof, and I just don't want to deal with it for Rich Hill. So, I mean, in any case, I don't think it's a good thing long-term. Oh, oh, oh I didn't give the money shot. Uh, oh. He's he's throwing the, the he's throwing a slider more than any other pitch that he throws. Uh, for for uh, Nolasco? Separate fastballs, yeah. Wow. Uh, so he's thrown 99 of them, and he hasn't even thrown 80 fastballs of one type or the other. But you, you combine the fastballs, yes, he's throwing more. But sure. he's, he's, you know... You know, I'm beginning, I I kind of think that the fastballs are different. I mean, I think that you can kind of use them, you know, riding, forcing, you know, is different than a sinker. I think that I'm I'm willing to give people two pitches on those two pitches. I usually do too. uh, Especially when they've got like a 20% sinker and a a 30% fastball, a forcing. Right. That's when I start to say, okay, that's two different pitches. And they would probably say the same, the pitcher. Yeah, they do. For that's why they they convince me. And also, just my general rule is like until it's over five percent, you know, I don't really consider it. So, um, you know, that's five percent in a game means he's he threw two or three of them. You know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so or or five maybe, but you know, with the with the error bars, you know, there's that's something that people don't talk about very much is that there are error bars on this pitch effect stuff. So. Uh, with the error bars on those, you know, he could have still thrown three. So anyway, uh, Nolasco's throwing it, and he went from throwing the slider in the zone last year 40% of the time, this year 56% of the time, highest zone rate of any of his pitches. That's so interesting. And So, it you know, it points to, I would say it points to short-term sustainability, long-term bad news. Okay. Because 
we've got a 33-year-old who's basically grasping at straws. <laughs> and, the, and the most recent straw that he's grasped at is, I'm going to throw my slider all the time. Eat it. And it's own, and it's going to be my fastball. So what do you think of that? <laughs> and I think that the adjustment that hitters would take, I guess, is, um, you know, key on, on the slider more. And, uh, and, and look for the slider and fastball counts. And if they can, you know, make enough contact on that pitch – it's been a good pitch for him in the past, but it's not like he's had otherworldly whiff rates. So exactly, we've never you know, really it, seen big whiff rates. It could turn south in in that way too. You know, it could turn south in a very in a very normal way, which is the scouting reports get out and everyone says, "Oh, he's just throwing a slider and fastball counts. He doesn't want you to swing." If you see that slider and fastball count, be ready for it and swing. I bet you there are some takes on sliders that were so juicy that the pitcher or the batter was just so thrown off, you know, yeah. to your point, that they're going to start jumping on it. So I would be careful with Nolasco. I just want to check in on him, though, because yeah, his then, numbers jumped out. There's some point when, like, he's been really terrible. <laughs> like, he's been unusable. He's been out of the league bad for the last uh, Out of two fantasy seasons. leagues yes. bad yeah, he's had one good – he's had one useful fancy season since 2009. And it was 13. Yeah. And it was, so a double C, uh, and it was right in the middle of of just putridity left and right. So I hope that's a real you know, word. When it, putridity. <laughs> well, I like it. No, I'm used to stake my claim. No, I'm, lo- I'm used to uh, it. So in any case, I would say you haven't pushed me far enough. I think it is interesting that he has changed something, but I'm not willing to say it's season-long sustainable. It's a little bit more season-long sustainable than career sustainable. I think the word would get out, you know, career-wise, and it can't be that healthy for your arm. Okay, okay. And putridity is a word. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to be using it quite a bit. Last year, to finish the season, there was a lot of putridity from Hector Santiago. He, uh, he was brilliant through like mid-August. He had a sub-three ERA. And it's like, wow, he's actually going to make it to the finish line with a, a damn good ERA. This is, this is crazy. Well, he really crapped the bed in, in the last <laughs> eight or nine starts. It was so bad. It was like a seven ERA. And if you rode him all year because he'd been so good and then you had him in your fantasy playoffs for like a, a head-to-head, oh, my goodness, I feel really bad for you because he – definitely cost you uh, but he's he's at, he's back at it again with the white vans it's unbelievable so far <laughs> he's been really good so far but there's some skill support behind it that has me a little bit more interested in hector santiago than i ever have been the home runs are still an issue chronic issue for him but strikeout rate way up 26 percent career um actually a, a, a one tick off point point off of his career high. He had a 25.8% mark in 2012. Big deal. But so strikeout rate way up, walk rate way down, 7.6%. Really good. He's always a below average walk guy. So this is above average for once. Swinging strike rate, 12%, easily the career high. He's never been above 9%, even. Eight and a half was last year. You had to round up to even get him to 9%. So not only that, ground balls are way up. 47% for Hector Santiago. And he's been a huge fly ball guy in his career. That's part of the reason that the homers are such an issue, which I I was hoping with the ground balls that the homers would go away. But again, they're still there, 1.4 homers per nine. So it's an interesting profile mix here, but at least we're seeing some changes to kind of support uh, a surge in ERA and and a a, – I said I should say surge meaning positive, a, a, a surge downward. I know that sounds weird <laughs> when you're talking about a stat where the lower is the better. But you know, yeah. a great ERA, great WHIP, everything's coming up. Santiago here, 
is it sustainable, you know? I'm I'm in I'm in. I'm in and uh I've had a I had a long Twitter conversation with someone who um uh, who thought I was being flip on Twitter, which is uh, just ridiculous because uh, 140 characters is all you need to say, really. But uh, the the short story for me is that I believe him when he said he changed his workout in the off season. Uh, he changed his workout in the, during the season too. Uh, so he basically in the off season he changed the max. He basically did more lifting at max level. So he kind of uh, tried to really push it in terms of getting bigger and um, just really achieving peak stress as much as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So then, and then in, in the in season, what he's doing is now he's working out after games um, and uh, adding, like after he pitches, he goes down and works out some more. So he's adding stress to every every outing to sort of keep that good velocity all the way through the season. The third thing he said was that he now has a, a reliever's mentality on the fastball. And basically what I say that is, and it sounds like mumbo-jumbo, but what it really means is he's going to throw at his max level until they take the ball from him. So just and, do, uh, do give it all he's got. And, you know, if it's five innings one day, that's fine. But if it's seven innings the next day, specifically with the fastball, that's how he's going to approach it for Hector Santiago is what you're saying. Yeah, okay. because – and here's here's actual uh, physical like here's data that proves my point a little bit. His max velocity compared to last year is not that different. Uh, early last year he was hitting 94s and 95s in as max velocity uh, all the way into June. Oh wow! And so that part is the same. Uh, what's different is that his average velocity has gone from uh, sort of 91s and 92s uh, to um, it, last year, what was it? I'm, I'm trying to compare the same time last year. So, uh, yeah, 91s, 90s, 91s, 92s to uh, 92, 93. He's actually now the second or third fastest lefty in the big leagues. Wow. Uh, he's right there behind Chris Sale just because uh, lefties don't have the same velocity. So, yeah. there's, if you think about it, who's, who else is out there with San Diego throwing 92, 93 as lefties? Yeah, so, that's pretty that's good. Starter, so. Uh, then uh, you take uh, his five game uh, stint here that that or yeah five games where that, he's been that will include him if you're looking at Brooks that means there's a minor uh, a spring training no, game because he's only got oh, four, one is a minor league one well, he's only got four starts so they might have oh, they might okay, have pulled right, some because right. but I'm gonna I'm gonna use that one anyway because Zimmerman just came out with some research that said late April so late spring velocities are actually. Uh, in line with early April, okay, late, which makes late, sense. Late that, March, you mean? Is, is it? Late March is in line with early okay, April. Okay, late, so late let's spring training. Let's use it. What, so I'm gonna, what do we got? We got that. So it's a five-game stretch with the lowest on Brooks is 92.69. So that means the lowest on Fitch FX would be 91.7 or, or 92. So uh, a five-game stretch where his lowest velocity was 92. Um, you, uh, he didn't do it last year. Uh, there was a stretch early last year, uh, early 2014 where he almost did it, but he didn't do it. Uh, and it was only two games, one game below, and then two games, uh, and then didn't do that the rest of the season. Wow. Um, so, uh, and then, so you're back in the 2013. You have to go back to early 2013, and he had some velocity dips in the middle of that season. But you have to go back to 2013. Usually players don't go back uh, and, and get velocity like that uh, backwards. So, um you could be uh, you could throw a shady eye at it, but 
given with the workout stuff that he's talking about. Yeah, given that um, there's something behind it, it feels more believable. Yeah. yeah, and that he, you know, used to have this velocity and, um, you know, thought he was breaking down. And, and, you know, it's a little bit more like the Brandon McCarthy situation where Brandon McCarthy said, you know, I just changed all my workout stuff and, and uh, changed a couple things about my mechanics, and here, here I am. So uh, even, if he, even if he loses a little bit, you know, 93 from uh, the fastball is, is really, really nice from a lefty. That changes everything, I think. You just look at his swing strike rates. Uh, everything is up. Uh, I, I, I like him. I, I think there's no league where he should be unowned right now. Wow, so that's a, a, a great endorsement of Hector Santiago. He's only at 59% owned in Yahoo League, so it's a little bit below that 50 threshold that we were using for Carrasco replacements. But I imagine if he's available in your mixed league, you'd love to go get him for Carrasco, right? I would. I also have a birthday dinner to get to. So okay, well that's fine. Then we will we will skip the last right, guy. We, we no, we promised him three arms. Let's do. We'll do a quick hitter. All right, Rick Porcello, another guy. Uh-huh. So he finished strong last year after the injury. Uh, so this is kind of a carryover from last year. But what's the interesting thing is that we're seeing a 31% strikeout rate, something we've never seen from Porcello, and we're not seeing a commensurate swinging strike rate jump at all in fact it's lower than last year by 0.3 percent so not it's, it's basically the same let's just call it that ground balls have been going down 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 with with boston from what he did as a tiger but that's also because the strikeouts are going up so it seems to be the correlation there where more strikeouts fewer ground balls but we're not again the swing strike rate not being there is what has me a little bit suspect about his 31 percent strikeout rate what do you think of rick porcello so far i really dived into it couldn't find much a little bit increased cutter usage, which might help them keep keep them off his sinker change. Uh, definitely going back to the sinker. I'm going to give him, you know, um, you know, 2011 to 2013 uh, Tigers type numbers. Okay. Uh, where he gets the the ground ball rate back up over 50 percent and is a decent starter. Um, I, I'm not sure if he was a spot startable back then, but uh, he definitely had some talent and was useful. But um, I don't think I'm going to go back to 2014 Tigers um, unless the defense behind him is just stellar, stellar. And Travis Shaw is amazing. And uh, Dustin Pedroia, Fountain of Youth. And, and we give him like a 280 Babbitt for the season. Uh, then I would give him, you know, like a 3.5, 360 RA and a 125 type whip. So uh, back end starter either way. I don't believe the strikeouts. Uh, I believe the ground balls are coming back because he's, he's gone basically to the sinker from um, the four seam. I think the four seam was the idea to get more strikeouts, and I don't think that uh, that's really stuck around. Okay, yeah, I think that that's completely fair. So let's rank the three then. Nolasco, um, Hector Santiago, and Ray Porcello. (laughs) I I think we know that. You already know. Yeah, yeah. Santiago, Porcello, and then uh, there's an ugly tree, and uh, (laughs) there's like a bunch of branches on the ugly tree, and they all get hit, and then... Then you get my Nolasco. And then right Nolasco. Well, no, then an empty roster spot, uh, <laughs> and then Nolasco. So try out empty roster so- spot first, see if that suits you. <laughs> see, see how it, how it treats. And then maybe go to Nolasco. I, I got the same ranking here, so uh, we can wrap it up on that. Todd, we're going to get to your email on Wednesday. Do not worry. Hold hold the phone on your trade. We will definitely discuss it then. You get to the birthday dinner with the wife. We'll talk in a couple days. You know, take care. All right. Bye. Bye.